Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. Be real, right? Tonight, we're going to keep it real. In a world of counterfeits, fakes, and phonies, we're called to be real. So I'll never forget, a number of years ago, we're doing a mission trip down to Mexico, Latin America. And uh, we're taking the gospel all over Mexico. And one of the last days, we get to go through one of these big Latin American markets, open air, outside markets. Have you ever been there? It's something you just need to do. You just need experiences because we don't have it here like they have it there. And so we took our whole team to this great big open air Latin American market where you can find all these awesome deals. I mean, great merchandise at the all-time low, low price, right? And so we come to one of the booths, and the guy is selling all this Nike swag, Adidas, you know, all the name brands, you know, the duffel bag that might go 150 bucks, it's like $25 there, and you know, the really cool hats that might go 25 bucks at Dick's, you know, you can get one for five bucks there, just this phenomenal place that we, we found. And one of our guys saw a Nike hat, he really liked the Nike hat, it was on display, he pointed to it, and the guy ran back behind and brought him out a Nike hat and they made the exchange and he was so proud he had this really cool Nike hat he put it on we start walking back to the bus I get on the bus before him in fact everybody's on the bus because he's just been delayed finding all this cool stuff and so he gets on the bus and we gets on the bus I look at his hat it doesn't say Nike it says Mikey yeah he bought a Mikey hat he bought a counterfeit it wasn't the real thing Now, I'm trying to tell you, that cost him a little bit, but he can recover from that. But there's some things in life that you have to get right. And I want to talk tonight about real life change. What does it take to have real life change? We all need our life changed. And this is in time where people talk about life change. Well, it's January. I have a New Year's resolution. And I really mean it this time. I didn't mean it last year. And, you know, this is a time of behavior modification. And I need to go to this conference and get a little motivation. But do you understand, most of the time, that doesn't lead to any lasting change. Tonight, I want to talk about real life change. I'm going to talk about how Jesus changed my life. Long before there was a Pastor Phil, there was just a kid named Phil. And I want you to see in my life what God did in my life. And I hope maybe it'll speak into your life. Now listen, Paradigm, we need to remember that there's two agendas for our life. Jesus put it this way in John 10, verse 10. There's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Those are the battle lines. You understand God has a plan for your life, and Jesus taught Satan does too. And everything God wants to give you and do for you, Satan wants to steal from you. If we're going to keep it real, you must understand that we live in two worlds, the one you can see and the one you cannot see, and the unseen realm is just as real as the realm that can be seen. In fact, the Apostle Paul would put it this way, just as a reminder, in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 11, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, when I read this verse, I I think of a, a cartoon that at least I grew up watching. I don't know if your generation did Saturday morning, the cartoons. Do kids still watch Wiley Coyote? That's still a thing? Okay. Yeah, Roadrunner? Somebody's a fan. I mean, that's a fan. Yeah, Wiley Coyote, the run. That's what I think. When I read this first, that he's he's a wily devil, right? Think of the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. He was always plotting, always scheming, always planning how he's going to catch the Roadrunner. And do you understand that cartoon has some kind of deep theology? Because check it out. Jesus did describe Satan as a wolf. He is a predator. 
And do you understand that as a lion, this is in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, he is stalking us and he is studying us, and ultimately he wants to trap us so that he can destroy us. Jesus came to give life, Satan comes to give death. Satan is trying to bait us, to trap us, so he can eventually destroy us. And I want you to see tonight how every single one of us come into this world needing to be set free because of sin. We were born under sin's penalty. And this is why Jesus said, I've come to set you free. If you know the truth, the truth shall set you free. And if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. The implication is we're born already in captivity. We need the freedom and victory that Jesus secured for us at Calvary. And as a child of God, if indeed you have put your faith in the resurrection, resurrected Son of God, you have been set free from sin's penalty. You've been set free from Satan's tyranny. But every single day, while well, Jesus comes to take the captive and set them free, it is Satan who comes to take the free back into captivity. So consequently, we live in a world of people who are in prisons, in addiction. We live at a time where people are living in ruin and destruction, mediocrity, if not complete captivity, when Jesus said, I've come to give you life abundantly. This is the plan, though, that Satan has for your life. God's desire for our life is found in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 26. Look at what it says. And that they, who's they? Everybody say me. Yeah. Everybody look at somebody say, you. That's you, all right? It says that you and me may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. See, the Satan is trying to take us into captivity when it's Jesus who wants us to live a life of freedom and victory. Now, I'm going to share with you a video, a little image. I want you to have this in your mind's eye. The next time you're tempted to take the bait of Satan, because Satan wants to bait us, and he knows the bait we're most apt to take, and that bait becomes our bondage. So I want you to see this, because I think it, it's a picture of what happens to you and me. That little mouth. Mm. Mm. Oh, I know I shouldn't do this. Mm. I really, really shouldn't. I should walk away. I should walk away. Oh, I can't. Mm. It smells so good. Mm. Mm. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm, got away with it. Mm. Mm, that was so good. I have to come back for more. I just can't stay away. Ooh, it was so, so good. I want more, 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 more. Oh, oh. Now you will never forget. That's the end of my sermon. Hope you all have a good night. Here's the reality. The wages of sin is death. See, Satan wants to bait us so he can eventually destroy us. And I really hope you think about that. Every single time you take the bait, you are stepping into the bondage and the prison. And ultimately, Satan's desire is to destroy you. And so I want you to see tonight the opportunity for freedom and victory. Isaiah 61 and verse 1 gives us the victory that we have in Jesus. And look at what Jesus says in Isaiah 61 and verse 1. It's a prophecy about him. He read from Luke chapter 4, the Isaiah scroll. And he said these words, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. That word is meek or humble. He says, He sent me to heal the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those that are bound. Now, I want you to notice, he applies this verse universally to every single person. The implication is that all of humanity comes into this world with a broken heart already inside of us, which means we're already bound to things outside of us. You see, the reality is the heart of the human problem is a problem of the human heart. And the reality is simply this, that because we're all fallen, we have sin that is born within, we have this nature already of brokenness within us. We come into this world with brokenness. Now today we use different terms for it. Sometimes, you know, especially in, you know, the young adult culture, maybe the dating culture, you see so-and-so and so-and-so knows so-and-so, and you're kind of interested in so-and-so, and hey, tell me about so-and-so. Do you know so-and-so? And somebody looks at you and says, oh yeah. They've got baggage. Check this out. 
everybody you know comes with baggage. Or sometimes we put it like this, oh, they got issues. Anybody here have issues? Yeah, look at somebody right now and say, you got issues. Yeah, go ahead, you can do it. Now look at back, go ahead, look back at them and say, uh, yeah, you do too. Yeah, you got issues too. See, here's the reality. Jesus is teaching, we're all born with issues. We're all born with some baggage already before we even come into this world because of the brokenness of men and the brokenness of creation. It's already born in. Now, God didn't make us this way. Sometimes you hear people try to justify their sin, rationalize their sin, saying, well, I was born this way. I mean, God made me this way. No, no, wait a minute. God doesn't make us to sin. We have that sin already born in. God didn't do that. We did that. Man did that. As by one man's sin, Adam, death entered the world, so death passed on all men, for all have sinned. You see, that brokenness is already born in. The day we come into this world, we don't end up doing things that God calls sin simply because we sin. We are born with sin, which is why eventually we already will sin. We are destined to sin. That's why we're really good at sin. It comes natural to us the moment we come into this world. Uh, I love uh, John Clark and Sydney. They have these cute, cute little kids. Have you met them yet? They're the cutest little kids, aren't they? Really? But do you understand those cute little kids, John and Sidney Clark, these beautiful little toddlers? I mean, they just look so cute and innocent. I'm trying to tell you guys, it won't be long. The little hellion's going to come out of them. Yeah, it will. Because it's born in. It's born into us all. So we don't have to learn how to sin. We're born with it. We have it already. That's the broken heart Jesus is referring to. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. It says this, The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? See, the reality is we can't change what we do until Jesus changes what we are. And if you want real life change, I mean real lasting life change, change never happens outwardly. It has to happen inwardly. And the world all is about outward change. I mean, it's a behavior modification. I mean, it's self-reformation, another New Year's resolution, but it never lasts. Eventually, your self-determination, your willpower caves in. So you go right back and do the same things over and over again. No matter how much you wanted to change, you really tried to change. But we don't have the ability to change because you can't change what you do until Jesus changes what you is. Because you do what you do because you is what you is. And it comes with that broken heart, that nature already to sin. And so what happens when we come to faith in Jesus and we put our hope in Him, and we get what Jesus called born again. He puts a new heart inside of us. It's a new nature. We're born with the sinful nature. But 1 Peter 1.3 says we get a new divine nature. As a child of God, we get the nature of the living God. It is a holy nature. So now, instead of changing us from the outside, it's Jesus who's changing us from the inside. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And it begins with Jesus renewing that broken heart inside of you. Now check this out. We come into this world already as a little baby before we even sinned. We already have a broken heart. It's broken because of sin. But check this out. Now, as we go through life, our heart becomes increasingly broken because of sin committed by us or sin committed against us. It begins to magnify that brokenness inside of us. Uh, this is why, for example, it says in Proverbs uh, 4.23, guard the heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life, or the heart is the wellspring of life. When the Bible talks about the heart, when Jesus here talks about the heart, don't think of the muscle inside of your chest beating blood throughout your body. When the Bible talks of the heart, it speaks of the soul. The soul is the control center of your life. The soul is where you make your decisions. The soul is where you define your worldview and you set your life's direction and you set your life's vision. Uh, your soul is the moral values, your ethos for living. And the reality is this is why we must guard our heart because the world is bombarding our heart at all times with lies and deception and distortion. And the implication, if it is the wellspring of life, then our life outwardly cannot be healthy if our heart inwardly is unhealthy. 
And so Jesus says, I've come first to heal the broken heart inside of you, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those that are bound. The implication is we're all bound with sin. Sin has built a prison, and every single one of us comes into this world living behind a set of bars that cannot be seen. But I'm trying to tell you, the bars of this prison are just as real, the ones that aren't seen, as the bars of prisoners who are in a prison behind bars that can be seen. And this is why Jesus said, I've come to set you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. But check it out. He does not come to set you free from that which binds you until he's healed that broken heart inside of you. You see, the order of this verse is not accidental. It is providential. First, he has to heal your brokenness before he delivers you from your bondage, your baggage. And see, when we try to deal with what binds us, whatever, just fill in the blank, that besetting sin, like that area of your life that you've never really been set free from permanently, consistently, uh, you don't have real victory, you've tried over and over again, whatever that thing is, an addiction, it might be pornography, it might be nicotine, it might be methamphetamine, I mean, it might be shopping, it might be ice cream. Being real. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's not as sinister as methamphetamine, it could be over shopping. You know what I'm saying? I mean, anything we turn to, where we ought to be turning to God, that eventually becomes the bait that we take that becomes the bondage. And so the world's always dealing with the symptoms, but God wants to get to the heart of the problem, and the heart of the problem is the human heart. And I want you to see the reality. Satan knows where we are most broken, and custom makes the bait that leads to our bondage. What does that mean? It means he knows us. Remember, as a predator, he studies us. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, goeth about as a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. I'll tell you what my clickbait is on Instagram. My phone knows me so well, it knows me better than you. The algorithm knows what you're most apt to click on, which is why, for reasons unknown, I get all these lion videos sent to me. <laughs> these lions that people have taken iPhone video on these you know, safaris in Africa and it's a lion hunting a zebra. I don't know why there's still this little middle schooler inside of me that just thinks that's awesome. Just saying. There's something I know about a lion. He doesn't go rushing into that herd of wildebeest. No, what does he do? He, he stands off at a distance. He just watches them. He's in no hurry. He's studying them. He's stalking them. The implication to say that Satan is a lion means... He's studying you. He's stalking you. He's watching you. He has been watching human, human race and the humanity and human nature for eons of time. He can predict the bait that you're most apt to take based on the brokenness that you have endured in your life. And so what happens? It goes something like this. The lies of the enemy create a counterfeit reality that becomes the source of our idolatry which leads to our dependency and ultimately our captivity. And I can tell you guys, I'm gonna tell you my story. This is the world I lived in for a long time, even as a young adult. Now, I didn't have the maturity then to know what I know now. How do you respond to pain? If you put your hand accidentally on a hot stovetop, you just remove it, don't you? You just react to it. You don't think about it. You just react to the pain. I'm convinced sin, most of the time, is human beings' response to pain in our life. In other words, the symptom is the sin, but that's not the real problem. The real problem is the heart. That's the heart of the problem. And if you want real change, real lasting change, you got to get to the heart of the problem. And it begins with the lies of the enemy. Now, we live in a society of lies. Lies are everywhere. I hear them all the time. The lies of the enemy are meant to create in us this counterfeit reality. It's a counterfeit reality. It looks real, but it's not real. It's virtual reality. It's not real. It's virtual. 
it looks like the real thing, but it's not the real thing. And the lies of the enemy create in us this counterfeit reality. And there's more and more lies all the time. You hear them all the time. Think about this one. Well, love is love, right? Now think about the implications. If that is true, love is love. I mean, you know, if I love someone, I can sleep with them. Doesn't matter who they are. I mean, all that matters is I love them. Love is love. Now think about the implications, really. So what that means is Pastor Phil, though he's married and has been for almost 32 years, theoretically, what would be the problem with me falling in love with another woman other than Krista coming home tonight after paradigm and saying, honey, guess what? I met another woman. Oh, I love you. Don't worry. I love you, but I love her too. That's not a problem because love is love, right, paradigm? Let me answer the question. No. Everybody say, no. Yeah. Oh, honey, wait. I, I've actually, I've fallen in love with 12 women. Krista, you don't mind. I love you too, but I love all of them too. I mean, love is love, right, paradigm? See, the cliches pass themselves off as the truth, but they lead to chaos and confusion and ultimately ruin. I mean, think about all the lies, the lies that we hear. They're absolutely everywhere. How about this one? Follow your heart. No, guess what Jesus says? Don't follow your heart. Your heart will lie to you. Your heart will absolutely deceive you. Don't follow your heart. We live at a time. Well, you need to find your true self. Guess what Jesus said? No, you need to lose your true self. The problem is your true self. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, deny yourself. Your true self is the problem. I want to give you a better self, a new self, not your true self. And you see, the lies of our society are directly contrary to what God says, and he's here for your freedom. He's here for your victory. He's not trying to take something from you. He's trying to give a whole lot better life to you. So who will you believe? It begins with the lies of the enemy that leads to a counterfeit reality. Here's the lie I believed as an adolescent, as a teenager. The lie I believed was this. My worth, my value is in my achievement and my accomplishment. Like if I want people to value me, then it's directly proportional to how well I perform. So I found places I could achieve. I found places that I could perform. For me, it was athletics. And I loved hearing my name go out over the speaker under the Friday night lights. And I loved reading of my name on Saturday morning after the Friday night football game and Phil Hopper, number 88, had 88 tackles that night, and he ran for 800 yards and caught 99 passes, and yeah, I'm making that part up. Okay, paradigm. But I love reading my name in the newspaper. Newspapers were things that we used to get our news on back in the olden days. They did. They wrote the news on paper. Crazy times, I know. But see, to me, that's what gave me value. That's what gave me worth. And then it was a lie. You know why? Because the reality is my value comes from not what I do, but rather what I am. I didn't know it then. See, whose you are defines who you are. And as a child of God, God alone defines my value and my worth. But I didn't know it then. And so it created in me a counterfeit reality of performance. But no matter how well I performed, it was never, ever enough. And so consequently, that counterfeit reality leads to idolatry. An idol is anything you reach for where you should be reaching for God. An idol is anything you grab onto where you should be grabbing onto God. An idol is anything you look for comfort or escape or security. It's the proverbial alcoholic that reaches for the body to comfort and numb his pain, but after a while, it's not him reaching for the bottle. It's the bottle that's now reaching for him and where he used to grab the bottle. The bottle has now grabbed onto him. It was a counterfeit reality that became the source of his idolatry. See, his brokenness became the bait that Satan knew he was most apt to take. And now that idolatry has led to a dependency, and that dependency always leads to captivity. For me, it began very early in life. It always does. Satan always attacks when we're the youngest. He always attacks in our adolescence. That's how it always works. Because the devil knows the lies that you believe the earliest are the lies that you will believe the longest. 
The lies that you believe the earliest are the ones that will run the deepest. In paradigm, that is why I know people tonight twice and three times your age that is still living in captivity. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> They're not living in freedom. They're not living life abundantly because they believed lies decades ago. And those lies created a counterfeit reality that created a source of idolatry. It led to their captivity. For me, it began in adolescence. I was in middle school. I'm going to tell you my story. I was in middle school. It all began on the back of a school bus. I didn't even have hair on my legs yet. I'm sitting next to a girl a couple years older than me. I really liked her. She apparently really liked me. I didn't know what was about to happen. As an eighth grader, I had lived a very sheltered life. There were some things I wasn't even aware existed. But she knew what was about to happen. You might say she was more experienced than me. And she was very much aware. I didn't tell anybody this for years. Years and years and years and years. I lost my innocence on the back of that school bus that day. Let me ask you, when did you lose your innocence? Somebody took it from you that shouldn't have. And Satan was there that day in your life, and he was there that day in my life. And on that day, on the back of that school bus, when I lost my innocence, something inside of me was awakened that should not have been awakened for many, many years, and something that day inside of me was broken. That broken heart inside of me became more broken. On that day, something was awakened. I began pursuing women. I began dating way too early. I did not have the maturity. And I began pursuing girls as a sense of my affirmation. It's what made me feel value. It's what made me feel worth. Yes, it was football, but it was also females. I got my first girlfriend, 14 years of age. I was living the dream. I was living every middle schooler's dream. She was a junior in high school. She had a license. She could drive. Not me. I didn't have hair on my legs. But we're going on the hottest, most amazing dates ever in her parents' station wagon with wood panel sides. I didn't care. I'm living the dream. I'm living every middle schooler's dream. I have an older woman and she can drive. And it was awesome. I was in love. I really thought I had found the woman I was gonna marry at 14 years of age. And it was amazing, I'll never forget, the fall of 1983. It's kind of funny now, it is. But I'm gonna tell you, it wasn't then. She dumped me after six months. Now, when you're in middle school, you're 14, six months is like a lifetime. It's nothing now, but six months at the time, I mean, that was an enormous amount of life. She told me she loved me. That's right, she told me she loved me, and I told her I loved her. How could you dump me? You told me you loved me. You guys, something happened when she did. That broken heart inside of me became even more broken. Satan was there that day that she dumped me, and my heart was shattered. And he was telling me the lies that I believed for many years. You're not worthy. You're not lovable. You're not desirable. You will never measure up. You will never make a girl happy. You are not enough. And when I say heartbroken, I remember literally staying home from school because I was sick and I was sick. I was heart sick 
I mean, I cried for three days. I really did. Oh, I wouldn't have told anybody then. That would not have been the masculine persona that I was trying to cover up in with my letter jacket on, with all the medals and all the awards. But this is what was going on in my life at the time. Nobody would have known. You see, I was doing the cover-up, and I want you to know that tonight, Jesus does the cleanup. But to begin the cleanup, you've got to end the cover-up, and that's what my life was about for a long time. It was all about the cover-up. It took me a long time to get over my first girlfriend. You're not enough, you're not lovable, you're not desirable, no one will ever love you. You know how I got over that girlfriend? I got another girlfriend. Oh yeah, this girlfriend was prettier than the first girlfriend. I'll show her I got what it takes, I'll show her I'm man enough. Look at how she smiles when she sees me come, and by this time I'm a sophomore in high school, and I'm starting varsity on the football team. How many sophomores start varsity on the football team? Yeah, I'll show them I'm somebody. And it was awesome, the fall of 1985. It was amazing because, you know, I'm the big man on campus and I'm a sophomore, but I'm, I'm starting on the varsity and I'm running with the upperclassmen. Yes, I'm somebody. And it was amazing until football season was over and she dumped me for a wrestler. Yeah, I can laugh about it now, but I'm telling you, it was not funny then. My heart was broken again. See, I'm trying to tell you, this is what happens. Sin committed against us or sin committed by us. And how you respond to that pain in life will define your future. I didn't have the maturity. I didn't know how to respond. I didn't know how to turn to the lover of my soul, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I began turning to all these counterfeit lovers, these false lovers, people that could not love my soul, people that did not have a right to hold my heart. But I began looking to women for affection, for affirmation, for a sense of value, for worth. What I know now is I didn't know then, that is the beginning of sexual addiction. By the time I went off to college, I was living the dream. I am that kid in high school with the letter jacket on. I'm all metro, I'm all district, all conference, all state. I get this division one scholarship. I mean, I'm living the dream. I go off to college and on that college campus, all of a sudden, I was getting lots and lots of attention, unlike I'd ever gotten before. It was absolutely awesome. Now, this is how God worked in my life. At a time, I could not have saved myself. Jesus was there saving me from myself. I started dating this girl in high school by the name of Krista. I had chased her my entire senior year. She didn't want me, but I wanted her. I chased her. I wouldn't give up on her, even though I was in the friend zone my entire senior year. I asked her to go to prom. She said no. She asked me to dance at prom. I said no. Prom King 1987. I'm finally taking back my manhood. Oh, she got voted best looking in our senior class. She was a trophy wife. Best looking in our senior class. This is the one all the guys wanted to date. I got her. Finally, I've proven my worth. Now listen, I wasn't thinking through that at that time of life. I didn't have maturity to connect all these dots. It wasn't until years later looking back. I'm trying to help you connect some dots in your life at this time of life so you don't have to wait till you're in your 30s like I did to get free and start living life abundantly. That's why I'm telling you this story because in some way my story, it somehow connects to your story. Because Satan only has a few plays. He runs the same plays. From Genesis chapter 3, when he deceived Eve, to the 21st century, he's got the same plays he runs now on you and me. Insecurity, anxiety, worthy, you're not enough. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of us all? Mirror, mirror on the wall, am I man enough at all? No, you're not. You're not enough. And how you deal with that pain will define your future. Most people deal with pain by turning to sin. 
Sin is how they mask the pain. Sin is how they try to overcome the pain. I was turning to women. And the reality, guys, I'm just being honest, I was not promiscuous in college for one reason. It was not because I loved Jesus. It's because I loved this girl named Krista. And I didn't want to mess up that relationship. She was going to school at what was once called Southwest Missouri State University. It's not called Missouri State, by the way. She was in Springfield, I was in Lawrence. She was just far enough away I could flirt with all these other girls. I could get the fix that I needed without actually messing up the relationship that I actually cared about. See, I was using women for my own affirmation. I wouldn't go far enough to actually cheat on her. I mean, you know, I knew the limits. I didn't want to mess that up. I knew I eventually wanted to marry her, but they were stroking my ego. I remember being out on a date one night with a girl. She finally looked at me because I wouldn't go for it. She said, do you have a girlfriend? Yeah, I was that guy. My heart was so broken, it didn't matter how many hearts I broke. I needed them to fix me but they couldn't. I get married to Krista. You would think marrying the best-looking girl in the senior class would be enough, but it couldn't. No, I married a girl named Krista. What I needed was Christ. Fast forward with me now. I've been married 14 years. By this time, I'm a committed follower of Jesus. By this time, I've long ago given up chasing women because I'm committed to Christ. By this time, I'm trying to walk in integrity, but my heart is still broken inwardly. I didn't know it then, but I knew it now. I was full of insecurity, full of anxiety, with this broken sense of masculinity. Am I enough? Here's the irony, guys. People would have looked at me and said, oh, he is the picture of confidence. I mean, everything he's ever done, he succeeded. He's a Division I scholarship athlete. He's the kid with all the patches and all the medals on his letter jacket. I had been a, a SWAT cop. I had been decorated highly. 1997 National Tactical Officer of the Year, the youngest sergeant ever on the PD to get promoted. I'm not boasting. I'm simply sharing. This was all a cover-up. It was part of my persona. I'd actually surrendered to the ministry. I had become a pastor. You would think pastors finally have reached some plateau spiritually, but what you need to know, let's just keep it real, pastors are just people too. Pastors have the same hitches and hangups and faults and flaws. Now, hopefully, we're somewhere down the way and down the line from you. I mean, hopefully, we're somewhere on that journey, that spectrum to maturity that we can help other people, you know, grow too. But understand, we're just people too. We got our own issues. It's called sanctification. It's the process of growing into Christ's likeness. And nobody ever hits a plateau where you don't have any more room to grow. And I noticed something began to happen in our marriage. We'd married 14 years, guys. What, what, what began to happen that I know now is I had brought dysfunction into our marriage. Disobedience while dating will bring dysfunction while married. Dysfunction is just a modern term for disobedience. And this is why every year you guys do like a, a dating series of some kind because it's really important. You guys know how to date, learn how to date. Don't date the world's way, date God's way because only then do two people stand at an altar with two healthy hearts. What happens is people have so many broken hearts when they get to the altar, their hearts aren't healthy and you can't have a healthy marriage if you have two people with an unhealthy heart. What Krista couldn't have known is she married a man that was not healthy. I had an unhealthy heart. A broken masculinity, a broken heart inside of me. There was still a middle school boy that was reeling from rejection, wondering if I was enough. And I noticed a pattern. The pattern was this. She, she would do something, and uh, it would hit a trigger of some kind, make me feel weak, and men are made to feel strong. God made us to feel powerful in anything that makes a man feel weak, he will retreat. And a man has two mirrors, his work and his wife. The work mirror said, Phil, you're strong, man. You're a SWAT cop. Like, you, you're, you're, you know, you, you, you got things under control. You're the one people call when, when they need help. But, 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 but at home, I didn't feel strong. I felt weak. 
mirror, mirror on the wall. Am I doing it at all? Am I man enough at all? I'm telling you, it wasn't her. It was more me. She didn't know what she was doing. She couldn't have done anything different. I didn't know at the time what I didn't know. I just know I would react to pain. I didn't know why. When you put your hand on a hot burner, you just remove it. When she would hit a trigger, I would just remove. And what would happen is I might go three days and not talk to my wife. That was how I would try to recover my sense of masculinity, my sense of I'm enough, I'm strong, I'll show her I don't need her. What I wanted, I didn't know then, that I know now, is I wanted her to want me the way I had wanted her. I had pursued her, I wanted her to pursue me. But gentlemen, you need to know something. You never become less desirable to a woman than when you quit talking to her. It doesn't work, it never worked. The old saying is, hurt people hurt people, injured people injured people. I didn't know I was injuring my wife, but I knew I was injured. And I was trying to take care of me. I knew I was in pain. I know Satan was trying to destroy my ministry by destroying my marriage. This was in 2005. Oh, by then I knew everything I needed to theologically. I knew everything I needed to intellectually. I knew all the Bible study answers, but listen carefully, that alone does not lead to life change. No, you have to learn to appropriate the promises, not just say the promises, not just memorize the promises. You have to learn to appropriate them into your life, assimilate them. I hadn't learned to do that. My wife said something one night, it seemed like by year 14 it happened over and over again. Year one, it was once a year. Year five, maybe twice a year. By year nine, it was maybe once a month. By year 14, it was once a week. The pattern, the cycle we were in. She said something, we turned out the light, I rolled over, we're going to go tonight. And I was mad and I was going to wake up mad and I wasn't going to talk to my wife. For the next three days, I was going to show her I didn't need her. And I heard her weeping that night for the first time. I heard her sobbing. And when I did, I also heard the Holy Spirit. If you don't take care of her, you can lose her. And that night I did something I had never done before. I ended the cover-up. I turned into her, and Jesus began to clean up. And I'm trying to tell you tonight that Jesus wants to set you free, but you've got to end the cover-up so Jesus can begin to clean up. You've got to quit the counterfeit reality and believing the lies of the enemy or you will keep taking that same bait that he knows you're most apt to take and he is leading you to a slow destruction. Satan is a thief, Jesus said, that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and you can have it more abundantly. And you can't live abundantly if you're not living obediently. So that night I turned into Krista, and for the first time I got real. This series is be real. This message is be real. I told her things I had never told her before. Like, honey, I've just realized something. I am deeply insecure. In fact, deep down, I wonder if it's a fluke that I married you. In fact, deep down, I wonder if I think maybe you'll wake up one day and realize you made a mistake. No, I didn't know it all those years, but I began to connect the dot. Jesus began to show me things I didn't know before, that it was becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. See, when Satan makes you into a counterfeit reality, in my case, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable, not desirable, you become what your master says that you are. It's either Satan or it's Jesus. Jesus says, as a child of God, you're more than sufficient. You're complete. You need nothing. You have everything you need already. You have infinite value already. But the other master, Satan, oh no. 
it'll never be enough. He's a cruel taskmaster. And as a 30-some-year-old man, I was still believing the lies I believed as a middle school boy. And I'm trying to tell you tonight, that is when life change begins. When you turn in and get real instead of turning away to do the same old cover-up again and again. What do you do? You want real life change. Number one is this. You must believe God unconditionally. Believe God unconditionally because times in life you're going to see one thing and God says another thing. What will you believe? Your ultimate reality must become what God says no matter what you see. The world will lie to you. Satan will lie to you. Your own fallen nature, your flesh will lie to you. Do not go on your feelings. This is why you cannot follow your heart. The world says trust your heart. No, your heart will lie to you. Your heart is tied to your fallen nature. Your heart will disguise the truth and distort the truth. But it's the truth that will set you free. And for the first time, I began appropriating the truth of what Jesus said into my life. It's one thing to quote it. It's another thing to actually believe it. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Yes, I knew that was true of my ability to get into heaven, that kind of salvation, but Jesus came to also save you, not just from sin's penalty, but from sin's power. He's come to set you free. He not only wants to forgive you of your sin, he wants to heal you of your sin. And there's a difference between being forgiven and being healed. Yes, I knew I'd been forgiven, but I did not know that I needed to be healed. Isaiah 53, 5, by his stripes, we are healed. And I still needed healing. I still needed him to heal that broken heart inside of me. Because there was still a middle school boy inside this grown man's body. And that is true of 99 out of 100 grown-ups walking the streets today. It begins with this, you believe God unconditionally. No matter what you see, no matter what you feel, you go with the facts. What God has said is true, and it's true of you. Renounce the lie that you believed. I believed I wasn't worthy. It was becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. You have to begin believing what God says. No matter what you see, no matter what you feel. Believe Christ has the power to heal your broken heart no matter how broken the heart inside of you. And tonight, Paradigm, there's a lot of broken hearts in this building. In fact, we live at a time of more brokenness than ever in the history of our nation. The statistics, the social science says it at a time where people say, oh, we ought to be more free than we've ever been, living our best life, living the dream. Well, we're an enlightened society, no more outdated, antiquated, all those biblical moral values of monogamy. Oh, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. The stats say we're not free. The stats say we're a generation going deeper into captivity with soaring suicide rates, soaring STD rates, soaring rates of depression, anxiety, worry. Wait a minute, I thought we were free. No, wait a minute, the reality is we believe the lies of the enemy when it's the truth that has the power to set us free. And I'm not the only one that believed lies in adolescence. You need to be set free. And it begins with believing what God says. Jesus has the power to heal your broken heart. Some of you have been deeply wounded by people that should have loved you, that should have cared for you. And Satan stole something from you, and it's Jesus who wants to give it back to you. You can take back stolen ground beginning tonight by simply believing what God says, that it's true. Believe Christ has the power to set you free from captivity, no matter how strong the sin that binds you. Pornography is the greatest pandemic the world has ever seen. 
Oh, it used to be a male thing, not any longer. It's also now a female thing. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Do you understand that pornography is captivity? But check this out. Satan knows what it is. It is not merely a sin of the flesh. Yes, there's that momentary physical gratification, but do you understand the reality is it's a longing for intimacy? See, Satan knows you'll deal with the symptom. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to white-knuckle it. I'm going to do better. Know the reality. It's, it's more than the sin of the flesh. It's more than simply the lust of the flesh. We were made for intimacy. That's why God gave us sexuality. But pornography is a counterfeit reality. And tonight, there's the chains of pornography, the merry-go-round of sensuality, promiscuity. He has the power to set you free to live a life of purity and integrity. No, he's not trying to take something from you. He wants to give something better to you. And it begins with believing unconditionally what God says, no matter what I feel, no matter what I see. Number two is this, I must submit to Christ completely. See, you will believe one of two sources, either what God says or what the world says, what Jesus says or Satan says, and that which you believe, you will obey. See, in the heat of temptation, your flesh is screaming, you've got to have it, you've got to do it, you need it, get it for me. But Jesus says, no, you have the power to walk away. I have set you free. If the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Romans 6 and verse 6, knowing this, that the old you, the sinful you, was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. You are dead to that sin. Sin does not have to win. Sin is not your friend. It does not have to have dominion. You have the power to walk away. You don't have to stay. But Satan's going to whisper, oh no, not true. You need it. Get it. You deserve it. Now check this out. That which you believe, you will obey. Believe God unconditionally, then submit to Christ completely. See, the victory is not found in suppression. That's just behavior modification. That's what most people try to do. New Year's resolution. I need to follow this motivational speaker, this life hack. They got nothing. Just the same old thing, reframed. What we need is to be a new creation. And that is not found through suppression, it's found through submission, a life of submission. See, you will either submit to sin or you will submit to him. Now, Jesus is not a cruel taskmaster. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your soul. See, you're going to wear a set of chains. You're either going to wear the chains of sin or you will wear the chains of him. When you put on the chains of Christ, he sets you free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But when you wear the chains of sin, it will always lead you to captivity. And sweet friends, you were made for freedom. You were not made to live a life of captivity. You were not made to live a life of slavery. You were made by Jesus for life abundantly. But the way out is up. It's Jesus. I surrender. And as I surrender to Jesus, it is impossible to surrender to sin. This is how I stay free once I know I'm free. Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Jesus has set us free. Therefore, don't be entangled again in that yoke of bondage. Submit to Christ completely. Repent of the sin and renounce Satan's right to rule your life. James chapter 5, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How do you resist the devil? Submit to God. Repent of the sin. That simply means 
I was doing this, and now I'm doing this. I was going this way, but now I'm going this way. I repent of my sin. And I renounce Satan, you're right, to rule my life. See, sin puts you in covenant relationship with Satan. Sin changed you to him. But obedience, submission to Christ's authority, it changed you to him. And to the degree you submit to Christ's authority is the degree you will live with Jesus' freedom, victory, and liberty. Submit your mind and body daily. This is what you do. I'm trying to show you how to maintain that life change. Jesus has changed you, but now how do you walk in that change daily? It's a life of submission. You submit both your mind and your body. Romans 12, 2, I beseech you, I urge you. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. How many have heard this, this common lie you hear all the time? My body, my choice. Okay, go there. You think you're free? My body, my choice. No, you're going into captivity. On the other hand, when I present my body to Jesus as a living sacrifice, now I'm free. I cannot present my body to sin while I'm actively presenting it to him. These hands are not mine. I can't touch whatever I want. These eyes are not mine. I don't get to look whatever I want. This mouth is not mine. I don't get to say whatever I want. These ears aren't mine. I don't get to listen to whatever I want. These feet are not mine. I don't get to go wherever I want. And as long as I'm submitting my body to him, I am free from sin. I am not going back to that prison. But it doesn't end with the body. The battle's in the mind. It says, and do not be conformed to this world. The world is trying to conform you, to control you. But you're not meant to be controlled by the world. No, it says, do not conform to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Every single day, I submit my mind and my body to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's how you live a life of freedom. You live a life of victory. Number three is this, walk in truth and transparency in biblical community. Listen carefully, paradigm. The strength of sin is in its secrecy. I lived a life of secrecy for a long time. No, I wasn't living deep in sin. Most people would say he's living a life of integrity. Outwardly, but I'm talking about only what Jesus could see inwardly. And it wasn't until I entered into a life of confession that I get free from that prison. It's 1 John 1, 7. Walk in the light as he is in the light, and we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all sin. When I bring all of my life into the light, out of the shadows and out of the darkness, all of a sudden, I'm getting free. Listen carefully. You get forgiven of your sin when you confess it to him. But you only get healed of your sin when you're willing to confess it to others. James 5, 16. Confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. See, we need to be healed after we've been forgiven. And for many years, church, even as a pastor much younger pastor feel. I knew I'd been forgiven, but I hadn't yet been healed. You don't have to wait as long as I did. I didn't know what I didn't know. I wish somebody would have told me what I now know when I was a young adult. And now you know what I wish I'd have known. I love you so very much, and I really am so proud of you. And what you need to know is that God, your Father, not only does he love you, but he is so proud of you too. Jesus, I pray for every person here tonight. I pray blessing over them. I pray that tonight... they would begin walking in freedom, 
in victory, walking in the light. No longer the shadows and the dingy grace of this present day. I pray that you'd redeem every person here from shame. Shame is a liar in the life of the child of God. Satan is a liar, Jesus said. And shame is a lie that he uses to throw shade. Shame is what drives you to secrecy. It's what drives you to hiding when Jesus is here to bring healing. When you come out of the darkness and bring it into the light, I promise healing will begin. It's real life change. And you're going to be living your best life. Jesus, I pray blessing over every person here that the Spirit of God would do the work that only your Spirit can do. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood that has set us free. In Jesus' name, amen.